Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome to the Military Wife Life Podcast, Defence Family Advocate of Australia, Sandy Larkson and Sharon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm darling in from Nungawal Land in Canberra and have just been able to time my 10-month-old baby's nap perfectly so far. So I've probably jinxed it, but we'll see how we go. Oh, well, that sounds like a miracle already. So I guess, um, Sandy, you've recently been appointed to the role. For those that maybe don't know much about DFA or are new to military life, can you tell us who DFA is and where DFA fits into defence life? Sure. So DFA, or Defence Families of Australia, was established in 1986. It's the ministerially appointed group who represents the interests of the families of current serving ADF members. As advisors to government and defence, DFA advocates for ongoing improvement in policy and in practical support. Our main aim is to reduce the negative impacts of military service on ADF families and to support the positive aspects of this unique defence lifestyle. It's worth noting that all DFA staff are defence family members themselves. We're juggling our defence families as we go. So we are part of the community that we serve and can draw on that first-hand experience as well. And I guess in your role, can you tell us what that actually entails? Like day-to-day, what are you sort of doing and how does that sort of fit in with the state representatives for DFA and and all that happens within DFA? As the head of the organisation, it's my role to coordinate our team's efforts in their respective regions and to help identify and pursue solutions to issues which are applicable to a regional or a national level. I'm also the key voice engaging with senior stakeholders, particularly in the nation's capital and across Australia. A typical week for me involves a lot of stakeholder engagement with families and key decision makers or influencers in the community like yourself, uh, such as research groups, um, ESOs of all sizes, trusts and defence leaders, among others. It involves strategic planning and supporting the incredible DFA team. Every week is different for me, but one thing that I'm trying to do is be the best conduit that I can be to support the synergies across the sector and achieving positive outcomes for defence families like ours. Can you tell us a little bit about your connection to defence? My husband is infantry with the Australian Army. I met him about eight years ago. I keep saying 10, 20, it just rounds up. And I must admit that I'd never really known anyone affiliated to defence before that. At the time, I was working in environmental science on beaches and, and playing with different animals there and could not have foreseen the adventure, the costs, the benefits of falling in love with an ADF member. It's definitely had its ups and its downs, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So what is your vision when it comes to stepping into the position and going forward? Obviously, you have that connection to defence and you have to have a passion to advocate for defence families? That's a really good question. The way that I see it, DFA has a key role in engaging families early on their defence journey. We can assist in advocating for education, support services, research, new or updated programs that help to reduce the stresses that they may experience as they support their loved one's military service. DFA has a long history of advocating for improved conditions in defence families, but in terms of vision, there are three key things that we're aiming to achieve in this this next sort of 12-month period. The first one is 
increasing communication to the defence family community about what advocacy we're undertaking and providing you with more regular updates. This will help to make sure that influencers like yourself can either contribute to gaps where we might be missing some information or can help to push that boat as well. The second thing is increasing mechanisms to collect and use the feedback that hundreds of families share with us day to day. Our national delegates will continue to support individual cases as we have for years, but we will have to develop more ways to effectively map the issues or feedback that we receive to inform and drive that regional and national advocacy. So that is change that impacts many families at one time. The third thing is increasing collaboration and playing a stronger role in connecting stakeholders in the defence support sector to have a greater impact across the community. These are very lofty goals, but we have the right people in the right roles with the right skills, experience and connections to make it happen. It's a really exciting time at the moment. You may have only been in the role a few months, but I'm sure you can see how you and all of the state reps are able to directly help defence families via the work that you do at DFA. How does it make you feel knowing that you can have an impact on that obviously being a defence partner yourself and knowing that, you know, whatever you advocate for and whatever issues you are helping with are obviously going to have a flow on for you and for future defence partners and families and, you know, the wider community. Absolutely. And, and look, without getting, you know, over emotional about it, it is, it is a real privilege to be part of the DFA team and a custodian for this critical tool for families to have their voices heard and, and to be incorporated into the ongoing improvements of policy and best practice. It's a heavy workload and it's definitely a heavy responsibility but it's one that our whole team shares and works incredibly hard to help the broader defence family. Some days we do feel completely deflated because we've had a setback or someone who may be going through some hardships themselves are trolling our work on social media in, in a way to vent their own frustrations but we support each other to stand up and keep going with renewed vigour the next day. We engage those people to make sure that they're okay and to, to hear their feedback because this work is about more than just us. It's about all of our families in the defence community. So why is it important that there is an advocacy group for defence families? The Department of Defence is a huge beast. For anyone who's worked in government before, you know that it can be really slow going to get change happening. That's because unlike the private sector, public sector organisations are spending the public dollar. There needs to be a series of checks and balances to ensure that the public are given value from that spend and the budget isn't infinite. Additional funds for a given project or uh, initiative have to be taken from somewhere else. So this system is part of being a democratic society. It's so much as it can be frustrating, I do appreciate that it's necessary to a point. DFA are uniquely positioned with access to stakeholders across defence and government more broadly, so access to those decision makers. It's our role to help to educate them on the issues that defence families face and work with them to implement a solution. That is a really rare opportunity and responsibility which DFA team take very seriously. Do you think that defence and I guess the defence minister, the minister for defence personnel and any of those key players within the picture and within the defence get the message that by supporting families and partners it supports the member like has that message gotten across yet or do you think there's still more work to be done with that in regard to the connection with support for families and partners and capability of defense I think you're right Beck it's a really key point that capability is directly linked to family stability people are aware of it but sometimes and this is where DFA has a real responsibility sometimes it is something that is forgotten there's plenty of research out now about how having a stable and balanced home life impacts the performance of an ADF member. And this is something that uh, Minister for Defence Personnel, uh, Minister Andrew G, 
and also the senior leaders of defence are, are well aware of. One thing that I think DFA need to continue to do, and we've been doing significantly for years, is pushing that point at every table that we are sitting at and in every conversation. This is a win-win. If we can get the family support system right, that will have positive flow-on impacts, not only for the reputation, recruitment and retention for defence, but also for performance and capability. So that's a really important point to make in everything that we do. And you'll probably see that phrase um, put around in all of our submissions as well. Obviously, it's mentioned, you know, in you've already mentioned it and other people mentioned that policy and dealing with, you know, government and all the relevant agencies and the processes and the due process it's slow moving and that it you know it takes a lot of work obviously you would know that DFA reps would know that that Mm. it takes a lot of work to get things changed pushed through but when you do go to every table and you say you push the line that supporting defense partners and families is supporting the defense member and has a direct impact on capability and the whole of defense and how everything sort of works. Isn't it that supporting partners and and families should be moving faster in order to have the whole defense landscape work better kind of thing? Like obviously, yes, policy is slow and all of that sort of stuff is slow. You know, there's just so much that needs to be done behind the scenes to have things be pushed through. But because defense is different to you know normal society community other sort of things and other policy shouldn't there be an urgency to push things through because it it does impact defense capability absolutely there is and i think one of the areas where dfa will be continuing to improve in future is communicating where that has happened and communicating where we're up to and things that will take a little bit more time so there's so many areas that where DFA's advocacy has led to meaningful change for the community in recent times. Some start small and snowball, whereas others are national level change that impacts everyone. Um, So the eight national delegates across the country are continuously working on individual advocacy. In the past 12 months, we've had direct support for over 450 defence families with complex personal issues. So this is part of the work that's never seen, but does have a huge impact. The partner employment advances are another big one. DFA filled a void to demonstrate what could be achieved in this space with our partner employment pilot program recently. We're now able to hand that service delivery side over to a number of stakeholders who've established partner employment programs across the country and continue to fan the flames to grow that movement across the public, private and not-for-profit sectors so as it's not having to just rely on government and policy. We've also seen the recent expansion of the Pakapanyal housing trial, which aims to really increase the choices that families have on where they can live in a given posting area. This trial was in no small part due to the advocacy of the DFA team and we're continuing to push for greater choice on housing across the board. At a local level, you're a brilliant example of the little things that DFA does to support big impact. Some other examples of initiatives that DFA has advocated for and that are now kicking goals are the ADF Financial Services Consumer Centre's suite of programs to support financial literacy for families. Uh, There's a dedicated families research program within Defence to provide evidence for policy and service reforms. Defence are working with the Australian Institute for Family Studies on this, meaning that they get the best practice from experts to inform this work and DFA continue to be involved and support that research. Some other things are that CDF listened to DFA in the pandemic and issued a message to all commanders that where spouses were frontline health workers, were nurses, doctors or the like, the military was to support the member to support their family during the pandemic so as that those people could do that 
critical work. We listen to families returning from overseas, particularly from the UK and Australia, about making it easier to access education tuition and have reduced red tape around this. So Defence have come to the party on that as well. Um, and another big one is Forcenet. The online forum to engage with Defence members and families was built because of advocacy from DFA. We're now working with Defence to develop resources on how commanders and units can make the most of this platform to connect with their personnel's families. The final one is increasing family involvement in ADF transition services, including attendance and relevant support services and programs for families at transition seminars. In with that answer, like obviously all of those things are fantastic and you know, all of those things need to be happening. But when, like, how do we get back to basics when, you know, we have programs that Defence or DMFS are, I guess, reinventing and people couldn't even access the original program kind of thing. And that is one of the main supports for people. Do you mean that people couldn't access it because of eligibility or because of where it was, where it was offered? I mean, one example would be like the smart Mm -hmm. programs. Obviously I have personal experience with that because I'm still on the waiting list a year and a half later trying to get access to the smart programs but dmfs have told me that they're about to roll out a new kids smart program that's going to be bigger and better than the one that already exists but you can't even access the one that already exists so it's like all of these things that are happening that's great but the basic stuff on the basic level how do we have impact on fixing the basic stuff? And I think that's probably a little bit of a, a terminology and messaging piece from, from DMFS potentially in that that particular example. When they're saying that they're, they're rolling it out bigger and better, that also includes that accessibility piece. That's, that's sort of a core piece of, of some of this reform and what DFA have been pushing for as well. We understand that there are certain regions where DMFS haven't been able to have the staff that, that perhaps they have in the past. Um, and that's something that we're working with them on um, and that they're pushing really hard to, to improve. I can't speak to the past, but what I can speak to is the fact that these programs are pushing forward. In some cases, that will mean a complete new program, but in others, they're taking all of the good bits that did work from the programs that, that were perhaps not as accessible to others um, and implementing those in, in a format which can be more accessible to other people. One of the big things that DFA are doing to make sure that those things aren't things that continue on for mm. the 18 or 24 months is mapping out our advocacy uh, we, you and I have spoken about this before. It's building an advocacy map that maps out the short-term, medium-term and long-term goals across the board in our advocacy. And what that means is that even though that we know that some things will take a little bit longer to get the change, we'll push them as fast as we can, uh, but we can look to that short-term goal column and some of those things that you've mentioned the examples that you've mentioned are where we can get quick fixes and reduce those negative impacts so if we know about them we can then push for for improvement as well so I'd encourage folks to reach out to their local national delegate and have that conversation if there's been something that you feel hasn't been um, accurate information or has been a bit misleading or disappointing let us know because these services at the end of the day are designed for us Um, and if they're not fitting the mark then we have a responsibility to be able to give that feedback back and push people to improve those services. And I guess the important note there is people, I know that, you know, we're all juggling a lot and by the time that they have dealt with, you know, misinformation or something that they're, they feel let down by, sometimes they are exhausted and they, and they can't take that next step to write that email or to contact their DFA rep or to, you know, get in contact with their, their local DMFS office. 
but it really is important that they put it in writing because otherwise mm-hmm. you, you just don't know that there's 100 people that have that same issue. Absolutely. And the other point to that that I'd say is reach out early. If you're at the start of a situation where you go, oh, this could go downhill really quickly, reach out to your national delegate from DFA, reach out to the DMFS helpline, um, to open arms, whatever the services may be that suit your needs, and just ask what might be out there to support you. If there isn't anything, that is a gap in and of itself that DFA potentially can can then pursue uh, to fill that gap. How did DFA remain independent of defence and provide advice to the Minister and Defence? How do you go about remaining independent? DFA currently have a governance model under the Remuneration Tribunal Act of 1973 for advisory bodies. So it's the same one that governs uh, the Family Law Council, the National Transport Commission or the Ambassador for Women and Girls, for example. Our government funding is channelled through Defence People Group within Department of Defence. Um, So one major benefit of this is that we have unprecedented access to stakeholders within defence. We're also able to be easily included on committees, advisory boards for reviews or new initiatives which impact defence families. It also means that we can leverage administrative support, financial processing, uh, legal advice, print and media resources so that the DFA's limited budget goes predominantly towards advocacy for defence families rather than on administration. In the past, this has sometimes been interpreted um, from what I can see as being in the pocket of defence. It's important to note that although we do sit alongside defence, we're not defence employees and thanks to the legislation, we have complete freedom of thought and are under no obligation to agree with defence and we don't always agree. Our strength is in the ability to hold up a magnifying glass to the issues that families face. I've thought a lot about this one and DFA have been incredibly valuable in driving changes for families over years and years. In hindsight, I think the organisation perhaps could have reduced these concerns in the community where they exist uh, by keeping them more informed about these achievements and the progress that's being made. The defence support sector is very loud. There's understandably a lot of emotion And as professional office holders, the DFA team pursue professional avenues of advocacy to inform that change. I think it was Confucius who said, a seed grows with no sound, but a tree falls with great noise. So destruction is noisy and creation is quiet. DFA creates a lot of meaningful change that many may not realise amid the noise, but part of my role is to inform the community about that change and the ongoing advocacy work that DFA is doing day to day to make that change happen. Like you mentioned, it is important that DFA and that representatives for defence families and partners do sit on committees and do go to various um, things within the community and do obviously inform different people within defence about the challenges and the complexities of actually living defence life. Because while we might assume because we live defence life, other people, you know, get it, Um, or they can see what we might be facing or what we might need, sometimes they actually really don't until we have to explain it to them or really be frank with what actual defence life is like on the ground for people living it. Absolutely. There's one story that really stuck with me, um, you know, I heard years ago from a mentor and a friend of mine, Garth Callender, who's the the chair for Bravery Trust now. And he was telling me about how his wife, uh, Crystal, who is an absolute pocket rocket and legend, she was a nurse. And all through his career, she was a nurse and they'd move 
state to state, posting location to posting location, and she would move that job with, with them. And then he left the military and she went, great, cool. Uh, well, I'm going to go study and be an architect because that's what I've always wanted to do. And he said that it really struck him because he never even thought that, you know, she was just doing this job to, you know, placate the family or to support the family. Um, and it was something that um, really struck him and, and struck me as well. I think there's probably a lot of members um, who don't realise the extent of the sacrifices that their families are making, a lot of them do, and a lot of a lot of spouses, to their credit, make make sure they know. Um, but there's also a lot of decision makers who either forget, um, you know, are focused on other things and don't think about it at the time, or need some education. And that's where DFA being at those tables is really critical. Yeah, and it's not like they just need some education once. It kind of needs to be something that is in their mind and at the fore all the time, at every step of the way along defence, whether it's policy, whether it's, you know, an increased commitment for defence capability, you know, there always needs to be a focus on, okay, but how does that impact the family or the partner? Yeah, absolutely right. And I think for me, this is a part of a broader societal issue. Uh, We've never quantified the domestic workload in terms of, of wages. We've never kind of had to factor factor in what that home workload is for people, particularly women, but of of all genders and backgrounds, families of all shapes and sizes. So this is a conversation that DFA are pushing across defence and will continue to push um, until families, like you said, being so critical to capability in the end, um, are a natural part of the discussion where finding there's a lot of platforms where that is happening but there are still plenty where we need to have that reminder are you confident that we'll get there like obviously there's you know there's been strides made and like you mentioned you can already see in the different areas where that is a natural progression and that's something that is naturally considered do you think that you know in a perfect world we will get there I think we will. I think it will take time. And, and that's not just defence, that's across across society. One thing I will say is that we have some incredible champions in defence at the moment. So when it comes to advocacy and DFA, obviously you have a raft of things that you want to advocate for and that you go forward and take to the relevant people and talk to the minister about and, and all, of the, all the different stakeholders. If there's something that you're advocating on and you're pushing through because you really want change on it, but you don't get the, I guess, the expected result or it's something that maybe the stakeholders don't see as as important. What do you do with that issue that you're advocating on? Do you try and navigate through and do it in a different way? Do you explain it? Like how do you how do you still push something that DFA is passionate about advocating on that isn't necessarily being seen as important by the people that need to, I guess, impact the change? There actually aren't many advocacy areas where DFA haven't been able to impact at least some level of change and improvement for families. Sometimes if progress stalls, we need to reshape the business case and get additional data to strengthen it. So to your point about if their stakeholders don't see it as a priority, that's our job to make them see it as a priority. So I think it's important. the important point there is that sometimes things can take a long time, such as changes to housing policy, for instance, but rest assured that the team are onto it and continuing to inform that policy change in the medium of the long term. But in the meantime, we're also tackling the quick wins and the short-term goals. I've heard my predecessor describe advocacy as chipping away at a mountain. Sometimes you'll have little bits of rubble come loose and at other times you'll have a big cascade of rocks. Over time, both of them make a big impact. 
And by getting those quick wins ticked off, what we're also doing is pushing momentum for those medium and long-term goals and hopefully getting them over the line quicker as well. How does DFA know what to advocate on behalf of defence families and partners? Like, do you rely on people sending those emails and getting in contact with the DFA reps in the different states and territories? Is it that people take part in the family survey? How do you know what to advocate on for families and partners? We have a network of staff all over the country who engage heavily with their local defence communities. That's why those roles have to be located within those communities. We also have a social media following of over 21,000 people with a reach of around 120,000 people a month and 7,000 engagements. So each social media channel and our website, as well as those in-person contacts, offer an avenue for families to connect with us and vice versa. The Defence Family Survey is also an important tool to help us put numbers and scale behind some of the issues that defence families face. Generally, there aren't issues that arise in it which are news to our team, given that we've got those connections across the community already. But the weight of this data and being able to put some numbers behind the stories is really important to us being able to push that business case for change. Aside from obviously the feedback that you receive, the emails and obviously social media and, and just the general feel within the community, Does DFA have advocacy pillars and which ones, I guess, are you pushing hardest at the moment? We do, yes. And these are informed directly by our engagements with the community and from the data from the Defence Family Survey, for instance. At the moment, we have three key pillars of advocacy. That doesn't mean that we don't also cover other topics, but these are the big three for families that we're frequently engaging with. The first one is postings and relocations, so all things housing and moves and entitlements therein. The second one is family stability. So that's anything to do with how the families settle in and thrive in a posting location. So that includes partner employment, education for the kids and for anyone else in the family, um, and for connecting with the community. The third one is relationships. And this is a a broad issue, uh, a broad range of issues, which covers things like being MWDU, uh, breakdowns of relationships or marriage, and domestic violence. And so how do you, I guess, juggle advocating for all of those, those areas when, you know, there's obviously important things that need to be advocated on within those, those areas? The one obviously that comes front of mind is uh, domestic violence. Mm. How do you manage, you know, pushing something that's really important and, and needs specific and immediate change with all of the other issues that are just as important but aren't as immediate? That's a great question and it's something that we continue to reflect on and we we should be continuing to reflect on and assess where where each issue is at at the time. Um, I'll give you an example I suppose with the domestic violence situation. Recently there was the the summit, um, the government summit for ending domestic violence against women and children. We were involved in that and we're putting through a submission to inform the next national plan to end domestic violence against women and children. Um, One thing I will say is that uh, it is DFA's stance and we've obviously got that stance through defence as well. We've got them on board with this. Domestic violence does not just affect women and children. Um, So we understand that any plans and advocacy that is done to defence, to implement changes there or to implement new initiatives to support uh, domestic violence issues in defence need to cover off on everyone and they will. One thing that helps us to 
push those critical issues is partnership. So it's collaboration uh, with, with different people. On the domestic violence issue, we're collaborating really strongly with Gwen Cherney, the Veterans Family Advocate. We're also working with the Australian War Widows and the Partners for Veterans of Australia. Um, these groups have a key voice in, in the community as well. And with more of us pushing in that same direction, we will get stronger change quicker. So it's about, uh, you know, DFA are a small team and we're all part-time and we're all juggling our own defence families as well, myself with my little 10-month-old in the other room. What we need to do is be a conduit and be a, um, a synergising force to basically amplify our voice, uh, the defence family's voice, through other people as well to help to push the outcomes that we need for our community. I guess on that note, when it comes to obviously you're advocating on, like you mentioned, when the issues get brought to um, DFA, the DFA reps, the general feel and what's being said on socials and I guess any other feedback that's coming to you. How does it capture those people that aren't necessarily able to get involved in that conversation? So obviously the people that are coming to you are the ones that are really passionate about changing something, but there might be a whole raft of other issues, but the people just aren't able to advocate or don't know to contact DFA or, you know, don't feel like they can have an impact. How do you capture any of the other things that are going on within the community when it's really only the the key people that are? are really passionate and have that energy to to go forward and, and I guess push for change on different areas. That's one of the biggest issues that DFA face um, in our space, but also one of the broader issues that all of the agencies in social impact spaces face in Australia and overseas. We don't have a silver bullet solution uh, for that, but one thing that um, we do do is make sure that our networks are as expansive as possible. The other thing that we do is, and we will continue to do, is work with people like yourself, uh, people like Amanda McHugh in the partner employment space, uh, with Amy Johnson in the research space, with Claire Harris in the co-working space, um, with Hayley Boswell in the, the kids space, who are people who have networks across the community and who are hearing things potentially that we might not hear as well. It's important that we keep supportive of you guys and other influences, but also that we get um, feedback going two ways. So we'll give you guys more updates on what we're doing and where we're at. And if there are gaps or there's feedback that you're getting that either supports that or confounds it, both are, both are equally as valuable, um, that can come back to us through those channels as well. What we do continue to do is encourage the general public, any sort of spouse, uh, any partner, mother, father, brothers, whatever your family, your defence family looks like, you are welcome to reach out to us. We'd encourage families to contact their local national delegate. You can find our contact details, mobile and email on our website. That's dfa.org.au. And I'd also encourage everyone to follow DFA on social media. If you've got questions or queries, you can send us a, a direct message or you can post a question on there as well. And it's important to have those discussions in the community. The final thing is that towards the end of this year, DFA will also be launching additional mechanisms to provide feedback to us. Um, so that may be a feedback form on the website or it may be other mechanisms, other forums that we can, we can engage with people. You can sign up for our quarterly newsletter on the website to keep informed about these option opportunities as well. The final thing I'll say is that uh, we are an interconnected community. Defence families know defence families. You may not be super close to someone, but if you know that someone's going through some, some issues and you know that there's a gap in the 
support services around those issues, you can also provide us that feedback. It doesn't need to be personal. You don't need to go, hey, you know, Joe, Joe Blow down the road is going through this. But you can say, you know, in this sort of situation, people are, people are struggling. What can we do about it? Um, and that sort of feedback is really critical as well. So in all of those ways, we're hoping to try and um, reduce, I suppose, the silent majority. Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. And of course, it's important to note that if there are people out there thinking, I'm not going to bother writing that email or I'm not going to make that call or I'm not going to say anything about that one little issue, that they can actually, their voice, their one voice can actually have an impact because Absolutely. originally, obviously, when the original support services were established back in, you know, the 1980s when DMFS or the, the then DCO was established and all that sort of came with that kind of um, setup of support and services was because spouses were having a voice and actually telling the minister back then, the defence minister back then, what they needed and the gaps that existed. And it was because they were using their voice and they, you know, collectively came together in the different areas when when the minister was um, touring Australia and going to different bases that actually something happened because they all used their voice, but they individually used their voice and it came together, I guess, to create change and to provide what they needed back then. Exactly right. And I think one of the things that gets me really excited is that I don't think defence families across the board have realised how powerful we are. We have a huge impact on capability. We have a huge impact on uh, the programs that are being put forward for us. The more that we engage in the process of feedback, uh, involvement, firsthand checking of what those programs are like now, noting that some of them have not been great in the past, but there's been a lot of effort to change them. Let's test them out and provide that feedback in order to be able to shape them to be the services that we need. At the end of the day, if they're not shaped for us, then why are they there? But they can't change without that feedback. And so does DFA have certain benchmarks that you need to meet when it comes to community engagement? You obviously mentioned that, you know, you have people contacting you through the reps and you take what people are saying on social media and the general feel within the community and what you're hearing. But are there certain benchmarks that you need to meet when it comes to community engagement and, and I guess getting that feedback? It's important to us that we have strong relationships across the community so that the communication runs in both directions. So if people have concerns or ideas, they can contact us to explore that and we can regularly check in to make sure that everything that we're covering is everything that is out there at the time. DFA, as I said, does have that immense network of relationships across all levels of stakeholder, from the Minister's Office and Defence Senior Leadership Group through Defence Community Centres, DMFS events, local family groups and more. The pandemic has been really disruptive 
obviously for everyone, but for us as well, for face-to-face events, obviously. But we are busier than ever through those other virtual communication channels in making sure that we're maintaining those relationships, but also capturing some of the new information about what families are going through through a pandemic. One of the goals that we're working towards this year is developing ways to best harness the information that we receive and feeding that up to identify more common themes and strengthen business cases to identify gaps in advocacy where they do exist. So this has been what DFA have done for 35 years, but in streamlining and formalising the internal processes to do this, we can be more efficient and get to the crux of it and push for even greater impact quicker. So do you mean like streamlining in the fact that, okay, well, we can see from our data that we've had a thousand people contact us about this one issue or whatever the case? Yep, exactly right. So it'll all be de-identified, but it will be, like we said, putting numbers behind some of these business cases to really push the point home. I had a discussion with a stakeholder recently who sort of in passing made a comment about, oh, I don't know if that's quite an issue. And I was able to turn around and say, well, no, actually we had over a hundred direct family engagements to help with that issue last year alone. And that's just DFA and we're not the first point of call for that issue. So what does that say to you about the importance of that issue? And it completely changed the discussion and the priorities. So that is really important and something that I'm, uh, especially from a data background, something that I'm really passionate about making our feedback work for us better. Obviously, one of the important points with that is that new defence partners, families, I guess, new defence families coming through, them actually knowing about DFA, DMFS, all the different avenues, but also knowing that they can feel confident in that they can have a voice without it impacting the defence member's career or that, you know, they might be seen as difficult or whatever the case may be, but they can come into defence life and from the very start have a voice on the various issues that are impacting them as opposed to thinking, oh, well, I've only been doing it for three weeks, so I shouldn't be complaining about this or my defence member might get in trouble if I say something. Whereas if I guess you have that data from every person, from every aspect, from you know new defence partner, from someone who's been doing it 20 years, it shows that there is a need with whatever that issue is. Exactly right. And there's some really important work happening across defence and DVA, pleasantly, uh, across the board and about the full life cycle of a veteran and their family. Because not only is a veteran created um, day one as a cadet, but the family is also created, the defence family. And we need to be there and be empowering and informing those communities um, as soon as they step through the door. So one of the initiatives that has is now implemented is that CDF sends a letter to every new cadet on day one to their families, addressed to their families. And that has the basic information about DMFS, about DFA and about where to go to to get that support. The other thing I'll say is that every single family member's voice is valuable. It doesn't matter if you're a 30-year spouse or if you're in day one and you're not sure how to get in touch with your, your loved one. It is all important. And it also doesn't matter if you're not a spouse. If you're a parent or, a you know, whoever you are within the immediate family support group or even the extended family support, if you're really struggling, reach out to us and have those conversations so as that we can ensure that the support services around defence families are appropriate as well. The other key point, and again, this is something that makes me really excited and goes back to that point about how powerful defence families are. Every family member is an advocate, every single one. And so in everything that you do, you're representing our community and demonstrating our resilience, our talent, our strength, all of those things. 
your experiences and perspectives are so valuable to shaping better support services for our community, but you're also educating everyone around you about what our experience is. So that is something that if DFA can continue to tap into and can, can really harness the power of that, will set us in incredibly good stead to make some really big change. I guess in saying that, how do Defence families have input on the things that DFA are advocating on? Obviously, we know that we can contact the DFA reps and, you know, have a comment on social media, but what is the the best way to be heard on an issue? Is it by sending an email? Like what, how should they go about it? It's really up to the individual and and what they are most comfortable doing and what they can do. Um, If you're a mum, you know, currently homeschooling three kids and juggling it all all on your own or a dad for that matter, um, then you're welcome to send us an email at 11 o'clock at night if that's most convenient. You're welcome to pick up the phone and speak to our national delegates or myself and talk about those issues. I've spoken before about everyone is welcome to follow us on social media where you get the latest updates and you also have that opportunity to send us questions or start the discussion as well. And there's our quarterly newsletter that you can sign up to on, on the website too. So all major stakeholders, whether it's uh, major ESOs, small ESOs, trusts, the you know the Prince's Trust among them, for in- instance, as well as DMFS, they send us their latest collateral or, or their latest initiatives and we can post them at a time that's appropriate, like when, when for instance, uh, you know, Open Arms launches a new new initiative expanding their services for kids um, you know we'll push out that information we also have our eyes across the community so as if we see something that we haven't been informed about previously we reach out to that stakeholder get more information get the latest information and make sure that the messaging is right um, to make sure that the, what we're passing on is accurate to people and then we can put that out as well so that information goes out on the social media channels um, and it also goes out in the quarterly newsletter to families at the moment we also keep that information in mind when we're sitting at all of these tables across defence advisory groups and committees. And what that means is that where we can see synergies or potential opportunities for connection, we can link those initiatives in and we have been doing so. And so when it comes down to people like Open Arms and DMFS and all of the different supports and services does dfa at any initial stage have a say or represent defense families when it comes to them i guess coming up with a new program or you know whatever they're they're doing does dfa on the ground have a have a say on well actually defense families have told us this so this program would probably need to be adjusted this way or like how does that work with the relationships with those organizations you know to varying degrees obviously depending on where they're at in their their development we have the opportunity to provide feedback and inform different products that go out as well. One great example of where we've pushed back and gone, you know, this needs more work is the PAP program. So PAP is the Partner Employment Assistance Program that's currently run through DMFS. And that program was reviewed due to DFA advocacy. The outcome is that now family members can access up to $1,500 on what the individual needs to transfer their career across posting locations, or they can access services through the Transition Support Services Provider which have a suite of career support programs to to help you sort of get set up again. Spouses are eligible for every posting relocation and can access it now at any time during the posting. So importantly, it's also now available to spouses of members who are transitioning medically if they need it. So if someone's getting out and they may need to have more of a carer role at home, there's extra support for how they can adjust their career um, if they need to, to be able to help them to do that. During the pandemic, it was also adjusted 
to be for any spouse that has become out of work as a result of the pandemic. So to assist them in finding another job. And I don't think that was as well known as it could have been. But that's a really important point of that program too. Another improvement is that the approvals process has gone from a really long-winded process that might take weeks to a matter of hours in some cases. So it's substantially quicker and it's definitely worth having the conversation about whether PAP is something that can help you in your relocation. So when it comes to, I guess, family policy and support and services, do you feel like it's time that it underwent a widespread review? Other countries, I guess, like the UK, they update policy or they have end dates for policy. Should Australia do something similar or or what do you feel should be happening with family policy and, and I guess it's staying relevant for partners and families in 2021? Yeah, that's another good question and another area that can be really confusing at times. To help clear it up, defence policies have end dates and they have review cycles and so they should. The Defence Family Domestic Violence Strategy, for instance, is up to its third revision and is having a rewrite linked to the Commonwealth Government's new national plan to end violence against women and children, which is due for release next year. I'll again note that defence policies include support for all demographics, not just women and children, so men are included in that as well. The Defence Transformation Program is another body of work that is positioning the ADF as a modern workforce with best practice support mechanisms to underpin that capability. So that's family support. DFA have been involved in providing feedback and insights on the family perspective to this work. And at the crux of it, our position is that if families are well supported, capability is well supported, like we've discussed, Vic. So it's a win-win. The department that we work most often with is obviously DMFS, so formerly DCO. This department exists to support 86,000 dependents. There's 14,000 school kids of defence members accessing the Defence School Mentor Program at the moment across 250-odd schools. There's over 10,000 calls, 20,000 emails in and out of the Defence Member Family Support Helpline, uh, which is the 24-7 resource that families can call at any time to get advice and support. Um, So there's a lot of review happening in the last few years, and that's why the programs that have been delivered or are being delivered have been changed so dramatically. In general terms, I absolutely agree that all organisations, no matter whether they're sole traders or global enterprises, should conduct regular reviews to ensure that they adapt to changing times and the evolving needs of their beneficiaries. A culture of ongoing improvement is absolutely critical to any organisation's success. And I think the pandemic has really demonstrated the need for that as well. What we do do at DFA is if we feel that there is, you know, in the event of a pandemic, a need for a review quicker, we do push that and defence are able to move up the deadline for that review. On that note, you obviously mentioned that you work with DMFS as one of the main organisations that you work with. DMFS are currently conducting reviews regarding the baseline of support that families can expect as they post into each location and developing guidance for families on the support programs available. What is DFA's involvement in those reviews and how does that sort of work? So we're engaging with DMFS regularly to provide feedback on their services and programs. So anytime anyone calls us and says, hey, you know, went through this program, this bit was really good, this bit probably needs a bit of work or whatever their feedback may be, that goes directly in a de-identified way to DMFS to be able to inform in ongoing improvement. All of our staff are involved in those discussions, both at a local and a national level. It's another example of where Defence are continuing to work on those improvements and the more engagement that we have, the better the end product is at the end of the day. In 2021, everything is evolving quickly with social media, things adapt and pivot like we've seen with, you know, with our keyword from COVID is pivot. Everything has to kind of move quickly. What do you see as 
the biggest adjustments DFA face when it comes to staying relevant? Are the changing needs of the defence community something that DFA continually have to adapt to? And I guess, you know, the way that you communicate with families and offer services and advocate like how do you how do you adjust and stay relevant when things change so quickly it's not easy uh, and I don't think it's easy for any organization or any family at the moment um, I, I want to acknowledge that families are doing it tough um, and, and defense families in a lot of cases have an extra burden um, to the general public as well so I want to acknowledge that first and foremost DFA have undergone constant evolution in their 35 year, year history and it would not have survived if it hadn't stayed relevant or continued to have a big impact we're undergoing a comprehensive review right now, and that's part of the reason why um, I was deemed the best fit for, for this role, given my background. And some of the key concepts that will underpin what we're doing is having what's called a growth mindset um, and ensuring that we have an outcomes focus. This culture helps DFA to pivot to make sure we're meeting the changing needs of our community. And it's a community that we're a part of. So we begin to feel it if we know that it's not starting to work as well. If you ever feel that you worry that there's a gap in the system, that's where I'd really encourage you to pick up the phone and, and give us a call. And when it comes to the Royal Commission into Veteran Suicide, does DFA have any involvement in providing a voice for defence families and veterans? Will, I guess, will DFA provide a voice when it comes to solutions and future support services for defence families that may have contributed to or come to the fore during the, the Royal Commission? We will indeed. So DFA are heavily involved in a number of forums which are driving change relating to mental health, suicide prevention and wellbeing within defence. The family perspective is one that can often be overlooked in these investigations. Like we've mentioned before, that's in part because it's hard to quantify the impact, but it's also in part because I think the Australian culture is that we just expect families to carry on and get on with it. We don't necessarily link it to, to work or outcomes. For me, it is a linked conversation and we need to recognise that unrecognised work of the domestic front and particularly the additional impacts that defence families face. So it's a broader issue and we'll certainly continue to represent those views for families and ensure they're not overlooked or generalised by the Royal Commission either. If people do have feedback that they'd like us to consider, I'd again recommend that they get in touch with their nearest national delegate. Does DFA face extra challenges when it comes to adapting to the changing needs of defence families and I guess therefore advocating for defence families when some of the major supports and services were established and introduced in a totally different time when there were different partners and families had different needs and, and wants. DFA can obviously adapt the way they advocate but how does that work when the supports and services haven't adapted I guess you know an example might be that community houses exist and were introduced in a different time but aren't able to pivot as easily when you might be hearing that you know the needs of defense partners might be that there's a subset of people that have work from home and have their own businesses and you know a community house doesn't fit for them but if there was I guess support for business owners through the community houses that that would you know be a good adaptation of the community house how does it work when you are obviously seeing the issues that come through but the supports and services that you I guess work with haven't necessarily or aren't able to pivot as quickly as what 
DFA can. That's a really good point. And I think, um, you know, by virtue of the, the way that DFA are shaped and, and the way that we're governed, we can pivot a lot more quickly than the big beast that is defence or D, DHA or any of those others. One thing I will say before I get sidetracked with the answer is that there's some really exciting work that we're doing on businesses from home to support spouses and family members who, who do have a business from home. So um, stand by, watch watch out for, for updates on that topic. If you do have additional feedback, now's a great time to get in touch with the National Delegate gets about that work because we are pushing some really exciting changes in that space. What I will say is from a defence perspective, not a single program at DMFS or even a single policy overall related to housing or transition support has remained the same over the last five years. So defence have invested heavily in adapting their programs um, and this continual feedback that, that comes through DFA and other channels is what makes sure that that keeps improving. So the stronger the business case, the more data that we have and the more stories and insights that we have the more perspectives, the better and the quicker we can make that change happen. I think in the past, government was incredibly slow at, at moving, but DVA and Defence are among the first that have recognised the need to be quicker um, and to adapt quicker and better to make sure that they are meeting the needs of, of, of their people. I would caution people from generalising experiences, even from five or 10 years ago, to services that are available now. If you're not sure, ask them about what's available for you. I give us a call and ask us. If you're not happy, come talk to DFA and we can link you in with relevant support and or feed that information back into ongoing improvement. The old digger net circles where people share information in the community are a really valuable tool, but it can also be a bit costly if old information is espoused as new information. So for instance, saying, oh, I had a terrible transition experience, don't do it. And they got out 10 years ago, the system was completely different. That doesn't mean that the experience now will be perfect, but it, it is risky that it turns people off even engaging with that support service, those support services, and that applies to families as well. Um, so defence and DVA won't get everything right, but they are on the right track in a lot of ways. And it's groups like DFA, people like Gwen Shirney, the veteran family advocate, through our advocacy and through the community that we can drive that continuous improvement. You mentioned there that you're working on some things for people that work from home or that have home businesses and that you'd encourage people to get in contact because, you know, that's all happening at the moment. Is there a way for people to see a list of the priorities that you're working on so they can go, oh, okay, well, that fits in with me. I want to have a voice or I want to have a say on that because there might be, there might very well be people out there that do work from home or have a business or whatever the case that may want to have a say on what you're doing, but they don't know that, you know, you're about to put something forward or you're you're planning at the moment how do they have input on those things before you know it's too late I'm really glad you asked that question. And again, it's something I'm, I'm excited about. What we're doing, or well, one of the big projects that we're doing at DFA at the moment is what's called the advocacy mapping tool. So that's mapping out all of our advocacy, top to bottom, um, everything small, everything large in a big table, which tracks the short, medium and the long-term goals. So it helps not only to um, keep the community and to keep our team informed about what we are pushing and when and roughly what the timeframes will be. But it also will be a tool that uh, when we're able to, to launch it in the next couple of months, we're planning on launching that, that publicly. It means that the community can then have even more empowerment to be able to provide their feedback at the right time and be able to really, really get into the crux of, of the advocacy that we're doing. So that's really exciting. And so obviously that is very exciting. So how do people stay informed about all that DFA are doing and 
you know, find out about things like the new way that, you know, you're mapping and, and the ways that they can get involved and, and how they can have input on certain issues? So the advocacy mapping tool will be launched that will be before the end of this year. We're looking at November at the moment. So that's that's still under development. But in the meantime, the ways uh, that they can keep informed is by following us on social media, by listening to your, your podcast and getting the latest from, from that, and also by signing up to our quarterly newsletter where, where we've got given given topics and key advocacy that we're, we're really pushing for feedback on, that's where those questions will be put out to the community as well. And if you're not sure, if you've got something that's on your mind and particularly stressing you out, please do give our, our national delegates a call or send them an email and we can make sure that that feedback is included. There are times, and, and you would have seen across the community, I'm sure, where the government will ask for feedback and the turnaround time is really quick. So for instance, the, the window for feedback on the, the national plan to end violence against women and children was was less than a fortnight by the time the summit had happened and then, and then the, the call was put out in that way. So it can be a really quick turnaround. So if you're unsure when the right time is, make it now and we can make sure that that feedback is, is on our system, is on our radar and is included in everything that we do. So DFA's employment program has now finished. Um, will there be something that will replace it or what is happening next when it comes to DFA and partner employment? You did mention earlier that now that you've done the employment program and or the partner employment program, you've obviously gauged um, certain things from that and there's certain outcomes that came from that and you're now working with other organisations to, I guess, better inform them and how they support um, partners in employment. Will there be something that DFA do with partner employment or will it be handed over to other organisations? How is it going to work? So the DFA Partner Friendly Employment Program was a little bit before my time but I've been really impressed to see what it achieved. Effectively, it was a pilot program which was established to fill a glaring gap in the services for ADF partners in in Australia. Over an 18-month period, the pilot demonstrated what could be achieved in partner employment and brought dozens of key civilian stakeholders, including employers, to the table for that discussion. So DFA helped to educate them about the underutilised talent pool that exists in defence partners and supported the establishment and maturing of partner employment programs through the likes of RSL Queensland, Soldier On and, and several others through, through the corporates. Ultimately, DFA need to focus on advocacy rather than service delivery. So after drumming up that momentum and, and having those lessons and sharing them with those, those stakeholders, we've been able to take more of a step back into the advisory and support role rather than that direct service delivery. We continue to advocate for partner employment outcomes and look forward to seeing some exciting developments over the next six to 12 months. Well, thank you so much, Sandy, for coming on the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks, Beck. It's been a pleasure. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 